what you explained in two minutes, we took a good 30 uh, to explain wrong with the wrong uh, property value to... Shop Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I am Dave, embarrassed it took so long to get our guest on Rupert, and with me is Chris, also embarrassed. <laughs> hey, yeah, how's it going, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. You know, I feel like I listened to the last few episodes, and some of it was me like, <coughs> "Hello, welcome to the show." That's over now. Can you tell my smooth, beautiful voice? I feel good. I look good. Anyway, because I got I have your radio voice from last week is now infecting my lungs. Um, We're back from Jamstack Comp. That was. Oh, yeah. We could talk Uh, about that a little bit. But more importantly, we have a special guest on Miriam Suzanne. Hi, Miriam. Hello. Good to be here. It has been too long. Yeah. Yeah. um, Only because I feel like we've I don't know. I've known you forever. And yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, like I know how this podcast is supposed to start. We're supposed to be like, how's Susie these days? <laughs> you know, whatever. And uh, if you don't, if that's if that feels like an inside joke, people, Susie's like a, a grid framework for SaaS that uh, Miriam's and I don't know. I feel like I've seen, confer- you know, your your hilarious style of conference talk where you're like, don't use my thing. We can get into that uh, another time. Well, we know each other from, I don't know, way back at this point, at least half a decade ago where we were mm-hmm. in Colorado somewhere and... This was this was before you had kind of fully name transitioned to Miriam, I think, and there was some kind of name yeah, yeah. conflict CSS with Dev Conference. There was that was good yeah. times. Yeah, um, yeah, it's something to do with another famous CSS nerd. But whatever, that was you know that was fun uh, back in the in the SaaS days, and we all kind of lived lived through that. I wonder if I wonder if maybe it is interesting to start there. Like, what's your like carometer? about SaaS lately. It's it seems seems like it's fairly high still. You just wrote an article on for 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 our site, CSS Tricks, that uh was about some kind of new SaaS features. So you stay pretty involved, right? Yeah. Um I've been getting more involved actually lately uh with this new release and um what's coming next. And I think part of that is trying to figure out, I mean it seems like um SaaS is no longer the cool kid in some ways. Like uh, it's not what everybody's talking about, but it's still assumed in a lot of cases. A lot of people still use it. Um, it's sort of an assumed part of a stack. Yeah, it's almost like you get it for free now, right? Like, like it's kind of in everything. It's in Angular. It's in Vue. It's in so right. And then there's been a lot of people sort of I don't know bad talking it or like, well, we don't need it now that we've got I don't know CSS modules or uh, some post CSS plugin that does half of the features, uh, whatever this person considers most important. Um, But I feel like there's some pieces being left out of that conversation. Uh, To me, in particular, for design systems, SAS is the only language we have around that can store like design tokens uh, and know what they mean. Um, A lot of people are storing tokens in like YAML or JSON or something like that, and everything is a string. Um, and to me, that doesn't make sense. Uh, colors should be colors, strings should be strings, um, mm. and numbers should have units on them, and those units should be meaningful, and the language should know how to manipulate them. Um, and I look around, and SAS is sort of the only language that uh, can do all of that. I think it could be solving a problem for people that uh, they don't know it could be solving for them. That's a, a good point. So it's like the design token ideas you have, JSON or YAML, like a, a central repository for colors or, I guess, fonts or whatever, however far you want to extend that. And then you need something to consume that. CSS cannot consume YAML. So, right. But SAS is like, sure, I'll, what, I'll import it. Let's try it. <laughs> Let's figure it out. So, And then it'll generate variables off of that. Can right? it like, really? Or, so SAS can import YAML, kind of? Well, not directly, but you could... Uh, there's various systems to go either direction. 
Um, so we actually have one that exports SAS to JSON. So we start in the SAS and then we export that to JSON so that oh, nice. uh, we have that data then somewhere else. But once it hits the JSON, it's just strings again because that's all the JSON can do. Yeah, fair um, enough. But in our SAS, we have actual numbers with actual units and we can do unit math. Yeah, so it's easier in SAS and you make SAS the source of truth. Exactly. Yeah, and is is the point is that so I mean I feel like design tokens is a great I feel like a, what a great term it's really like getting in people's heads. You you might have been doing it already, or you know you might be like, oh yeah, we have those, which is I don't know, in wherever you build your UIs, you have like Dave said, a bunch of fonts, a bunch of colors, a bunch of spacings, a bunch of whatever it is. But you'd only is it fair that you'd only call them a design token if if there's multiple targets. You know, like if you need to then, because you're trying to rein in your iOS app with your web app, so you make a tokens file that serves both of them, or is it kind of like, it doesn't matter? I don't know. I use tokens even if there's just one app being generated from it. I mean, I think mm. it sort of refers globally to all of the all of the design configuration, the pieces that we're going to need to build the design system, even if that design system is only building one app from there. I think though the multiple the multiple destinations thing is part of why people go with YAML or JSON. It feels more, I don't know, universal, uh, not not web focused, uh, and that is true. SAS is very, it's a CSS superset. It's very much web focused. So you are you um, run Oddbird, yeah? That's your yeah. uh, that's the day job. That's what I do. So you build you build you build stuff. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, we do client work uh, and a lot of open source work, but it's a real mix of like design systems and architecture, um, training and workshops, uh, sort of helping teams do architectural front end, get your front end organized, um, get a design system in place, get a component library. Um, we're systems thinkers generally, so uh, we like doing that work. And then also full builds of custom apps, um, you know. Start from yeah. scratch, build out a product. You see like a, a kind of a big need uh, for kind of just somebody making a plan for their CSS and, and front ends. Is that kind of a big common problem? Yeah, I think uh, often it's uh, people that uh, the first time around they had to uh, go for speed um, mm-hmm. and you end up with something that had some features quickly, but doesn't really scale, doesn't really, uh, isn't easy to build on. Um, and that's where we'll come in and help re-architect it so you can actually keep moving forward and not have to rebuild every two years. Do you use any, <laughs> I'm going to go for it. Do you <laughs> use anything like, like bootstrap or foundation or like prescribed kind of like frameworks or do you, I, I imagine the answer is no, but I'm going <laughs> to just ask it anyway. Uh, and then do you like use any tools like pattern lab or, or, you know, fractal or something like that to kind of, or storybook to kind of organize it or, or is it just purely like. Yeah, what's interesting about agency work is that we end up using a lot of these things, uh, even if we wouldn't necessarily recommend them, um, because we'll come in and we'll often have to just work with the stack that's in place, um, and uh, we don't get to replace it entirely. We're just saying, how are we going to clean this up and make it well-architected? So um, that means we run into Bootstrap quite a bit, uh, although I don't think we've ever put it into a project because uh, it's not necessarily the way we work. Um, but uh, tools like Bootstrap, Storybook, um, uh, various things like that, we'll, we'll use if they're there, if they're what the company wants. Isn't Bootstrap kind of an early, wouldn't you say, would, like a Bootstrap fan person who's used it a lot and maybe customizes a lot, say like, well, if you're a fan of design tokens, you it's a little weird that you're not a fan of Bootstrap, which feels like their Bootstrap's pretty all in on the. Here's a big ass file. Has about a hundred and thirty of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm also a big fan of building just what you need, uh, and Bootstrap mm-hmm. tends to give you the kitchen sink whether you need it or not, um, and it comes in with a lot of opinions that aren't necessarily right for your app. Uh, and then you spend a lot of time overriding their opinions, and that's where things get messy. 
So we try to help people figure out as much as possible how can we just pull in what we need from Bootstrap and whenever we're overriding, can we can we not have these layers of overrides? Isn't the argument always like, oh, you comment that out and then it, all of a sudden you don't have tabs or whatever? I mean, is that your experience? Or uh, it, uh, To me, it's always seems a smidge naive. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Is that your experience? Or? I don't know if I understand the question exactly, but I think there is something there of it. It really depends how you pull it in. And Bootstrap has sort of all these different ways of using it. Um, and we tend to push people towards the SaaS approach because then you can just import the pieces you want um, and be a little more organized about it, uh, be a little more controlled about what it's doing in your code. Um, I mean, I think the real problems are where you get to like, well, Bootstrap has a high specificity rule that creates this tab and now I want the tab to be slightly different so I'm going to hit bang important on everything and that's the only way to override Bootstrap. This episode is brought to you by Backlog. Backlog is the all-in-one project and code management tool development teams have been waiting for. With project management, bug tracking, wikis, and Git rolled into one easy-to-use platform, Backlog provides the powerful features development teams need under a clean UI that anyone can use. Easily onboard your whole team and start working on tasks in minutes. Additional features like Gantt and Burndown Charts make it easy to manage projects. Mobile apps keep your team connected, and their simple pricing scales with you, so you can stop worrying about per-user charges. You can build your next project with Backlog. Get a 30-day obligation-free trial at backlog.com shoptalk, or follow the link in your show notes or your podcast player right now. Our thanks to Backlog for sponsoring this episode. Keep all your projects organized with Backlog. You know, I've been trying to put. To, I want to ask ask both of you about this because this is it's been it's been peppered into my mind, and I, I feel like a little unqualified to write about it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I guess that's what men do. Sorry about that. The internet that's, that's um, called blogging. Yeah, <laughs> but I get questions about this, so I feel like it, there's some need to address it, and I've been thinking about it for years. And it's the whole thing of unused CSS. So. Let all of your opinions start to flow into your brain about unused CSS. And part of it, like it or not, is highly bootstrap related. Because one of the ways that you can use bootstrap is just to use it all. Just to grab the pre-compiled version of it. And I feel like in bootstrap 3 there was kind of a a builder where you could say, I want this, 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 and this. Like I think you even used to do that with jQuery for a minute. Or there's been apps in the past that that help you download just what you need. And you have to Mm -hmm. like put a little thinking behind it. But at least, at least then theoretically, it's pared down to what you don't need. Maybe less and less common these days because because we're told like, don't worry, tree shaking, it's in there. Just don't worry about it, you know. But maybe tree shaking for CSS isn't there yet as as well as it is in in JavaScript land. And we're told that because you go to a site and you open up Chrome and now it's got this coverage tab. I don't know, maybe other dev tools have a coverage tab now too. I think. You know, the, the answer to that is probably complicated. But you click around your app and, or at least look at some pages of it, and it'll tell you 84% of your CSS is unused. And you're extremely worried because CSS is in the head and it's render blocking. And it's like, holy cow, if I could cut the size of the CSS in a quarter, how much that would be incredible performance. And because I read tech news, I see that there's about nine tools that promise to remove my unused CSS from my app. And they all kind of work in different interesting ways. So I have this bootstrap site. I'm told that 84% of my CSS is unused. What, where do I, where do I just dump, where do I just get this information and just make it part of my build? Or like, I don't know, what do I do? I feel like there's people that are, have this information and then don't know what the next step is. And I'm not sure what the next step is either. And I don't trust it as far as I can throw it, but that's the opinionated part of it. So. 94.8% 94.8% of the Git Bootstrap website is unused <laughs> well, CSS. There you go. So. Miriam, what do you think about all that? Like, do you... Yeah, I think it's hard. I mean, we can't really do tree shaking the way we would want to in CSS. I mean, it's like, you, I, I don't know that there is a solution to that uh, in in the same way that there is for some other languages because CSS sort of 
doesn't exist until it's with HTML. I mean, there's mm-hmm. like we have no idea what's going to be used until we apply it to some HTML. And then um, if we're writing CSS for an entire app, we can't look at one page and shake the tree for that one page because uh, that's not also a, a full picture of what's actually used in your app. I mean, even even a single page app, you know, we're changing what's on that page all the time. Um, are you going to run through every single state uh, to see what was used? I don't know. And then, yeah, are you that's actually, tough, right? Do you have some CSS that's, um, you know, handling a fallback that you're going to need in a different browser, um, mm. and that's unused in the browser you're testing in? How are you going to check all those things? I don't know if there's a way to do it automated that's really reliable. I would be skeptical of any tool that tells me. Uh, what CSS is unused, which is not yeah, helpful. I, <laughs> <laughs> I always think in systems too, like you, you mentioned, like systems thinking, and like when you build a site, you're like, well, the idea here is they're going to go through like five pages or something. Like here's the flow. So I'm going to, and, and so I am doing a little bit of eager loading to like get all this, but like, you know, I'm hoping it's under 20 kilobytes or something. So I, I want like a little bit of loading, preloading, so that the rest of the experience is flawless and paints as fast as possible mm-hmm. and is already processed. In, yeah, like, like you that. have some unused I mean, CSS on purpose because that means when it does eventually get used, it's already ready to rock and roll. Yeah, or, you know, my always my favorite example is like, you know, every unused CSS tool is going to be like, ah, you have a table, you have table in TD <laughs> defined. Don't have that, you know. It's like, of course, I don't on the home page, but <laughs> right. there's a WYSIWYG you see, and on the on the CMS, and someone's gonna use it. Somebody's and gonna so do like, it, yeah. So you gotta right, check every right. URL of the site, and so so, and that that data might actually be in a database, not in templates, because I think some of the pushback from this would be like, well, don't worry. We're going to look at every single template in your project and every single JavaScript file. Some of some of these projects are so, quote unquote, dumb on purpose that they'll tokenize every word of every template in every JavaScript file. They're not even looking for like class names on purpose or any, just mm-hmm. any word at all. And they tokenize the whole list of everything they find and then compare it against every selector that they find in the CSS. And if there's no match there, then it's like, look, you know, we really tried here to look at every, you know, like you can't possibly be adding a class in JavaScript in some one-off state that doesn't match this class because we looked at everything. Now, they can't look at third-party CSS, third-party JavaScript. And and so, so there's even some cases there. And I like what Miriam said about different browser scenarios like i'm not sure how that would play into it that gets complicated but and then to throw another wild card into this there's all these like you know tailwind people we've had adam on the show and and uh uh you know people that like the the css that's just like i don't know just use a million class names on your in your thing and then load this css file that and then you you can kind of tree shake from there like I don't know if it's not in the html then i didn't use it so only load that css i feel like so i and I know I just threw a bunch of wild cards in the water here, but it makes this story so complicated. Yeah, well, and I think it gets to a bigger problem, which is that um, people want CSS to work like other programming languages. And kind of when it doesn't, uh, we go, oh, I mean, I learned that languages should work this way. Uh, and if it doesn't, it must be bad or it must not be working right. We need to fix it. We need some tooling around it that makes it work right. Uh and I think it fundamentally misses some of the point of CSS and how CSS was designed. It was fundamentally designed to be contextual um, and to let browsers make decisions for us. Um, and that's the opposite of trying to uh, isolate functions and uh, make sure that everything runs exactly the same no matter what context it's in. Like. CSS is fundamentally not that and never going to be that uh, because of what it has to do on the web, which is fall apart gracefully in a million different scenarios. Uh, it cannot be isolated. Um, so when we try to make it be like other languages, we're just going to get frustrated. 
Well, that, that makes me think of, you know, I think maybe the subtext of that was some CSS and JS stuff. And if you go down that road, that, in a sense, makes it a little more tree-shakeable because you, you can analyze what's happening a little better from the JavaScript side, which uh, might be a, a plus in that scenario. If you're really concerned about unused CSS, that's yet another way that you can, you, you can approach the thing. I but, guess I always think... Yeah. If we're worried about CSS performance, have we removed all the JPEGs and uh, massive JavaScript frameworks first? Uh, those are blocking more. Um, I have people regularly concerned about me using like the universal selector, the star selector. Uh, isn't mm-hmm. that bad performance? And I'm like, you have a JPEG that's massive at the top of your page. Why are you worried about the universal selector? Those are... They're not even comparable. <laughs> no, and that is, even that story is so complicated because you you could be it could be argued that well an image isn't render blocking and CSS is so eh, you know like I could see how that's important but but you know I'm I'm on your side here like the, the, <laughs> the easy wins that you're not doing are are substantial in a way and there's so many of them uh, that yeah and, and then selector performance is a different type of perf than how big your CSS is. Right, and it's an, mm-hmm. an even more irrelevant one. So, so this story is complicated too. You know, like, I don't know. I, I almost not that I long for the simpler days, but none of these conversations <laughs> c- come easy, do they? No. For me, it like almost doesn't make sense to add, you know, thirty k of JavaScript to solve a six k of CSS problem. You know what I mean? Like, like there's and maybe those numbers are totally wrong and made up. They are, but like I just you know piling more on work onto the main thread to like solve like a little bit of extra download, mm. you know? Well, and like, also there's advantages to uh, like browser engines rendering of CSS is actually pretty uh, uh, optimized in ways that we can't um, because browser engines know things we don't know. Uh, they have all the context um, so in some cases, browser engines can solve these problems better than we can. Uh, and I always feel like taking it away from the browser engine and trying to solve it on our thread and then pass the solution back to a browser engine is going to be worse than just letting the browser engine solve it. Yeah, right. If I can have a real-time story from this week. <laughs> so uh, Clamp and Min and Max are starting to hit browsers. And I like took my old jQuery plugin fit text or whatever and rewrote it in just clamp as all I need. And you pass like a min, uh, whatever, a medium. Yeah. And that's <laughs> fit text, but that that's the, it's kind of the same philosophy for a uh, responsive typography too, right? Like a scale yeah, between the this size and that size with a clamp and you can just do it now and say that's it. So min we get, right? You pass the two parameters and it, it, is it just two parameters or can you pass it X parameters? That'd be kind of cool. Is two, so and then it, and then it takes the smaller of the two. So that's obvious. And max takes two back to the obvious. So how does clamp? Work? So you pass it a um, uh, min like like twelve pixels or sixteen pixels, yeah. and then um and then a scaling value like ten Seriously? vw. Seriously, there's like a programmatic then, um, middle value. Yeah, Fancy. and so like whatever value you want that to be. I mean, it could be um, some weird or like calc statement if you want. And then, uh, and then there's a max. And so I, I, I mean, it's just, it's cool. Cause like all this crud I was doing in JavaScript occasionally is like now just later by, I'm not even <laughs> like, this is one liner in CSS. It's very cool. And, and now CSS is doing it faster. Like Miriam was saying, it's like, it's way more performant. I'm not measuring on resize. I haven't bound a, a resize i haven't i'm not like measuring the parent every time it resizes which causes a layout recalculation you know like it's just it's just instant and so it's very cool i need to play with that that sounds cool it's just the kind of thing of you've been doing videos about lately right yeah exactly i should do one on that um some of the things you mentioned were like it, it seems like um there's bits in there from your why is css so weird video which is really really blew up and everybody was sharing that around the other day it's a wonderful one right and is your your point there is some of that css exists in this weird space right right 
Yeah, it's solving a very strange problem, which is, I mean, even a problem that Tim Berners-Lee on the first website ever said, we'll never be able to solve this. Um, I mean, he says on that website, uh, we'll never be able to do things like fonts and colors, for example, um, because they rely too much on device capability. And uh, we can't rely on device capability when we're on the web. Um, I mean, to the point where... Uh, the team at CERN, uh, they had their first web, their first browser, uh, which was a graphic interface, and then they were like, oh, we need to prove the point. We'll make a second browser that has no graphic interface and is just text and works on a terminal anywhere um, to prove that we, we really mean it. Uh, there's no design on the web. Um, mm. And then CSS has to come in and solve that problem. What does it mean to design for a medium that maybe has no screen. It's a weird problem to solve. So his point wasn't, or whoever was involved with that statement and sentence, wasn't that you shouldn't you shouldn't suggest what color or font something would be, just don't count on it? Well, at that point, it was very contentious between those. Um, so at first, there was no way to even suggest. Uh, and a lot of people felt like that was right and that's the way it should be and browsers should make all the decisions about presentation. I mean, at that point, the language is also much simpler. It's like uh, 16 tags or something and you're not allowed to nest them. Um, you, I don't think divs were around. It was like you have paragraphs and headings and lists and uh, what do you need to style those for? Um, the browser will figure it out and you're okay. If there's even a great conversation uh, it's like somebody being like, how come my list has uh, space above it on this browser and not on that one? Uh, how do I change that? Is it, it seems like a bug. Can I fix it? Um, and the response is, no, you're screwed. That's how we built it. That's how we want it. Uh, but what happens is around like uh, 93, 94, um, browsers are starting to add proprietary ways to uh, style things because everybody wants it. Users want it and um, authors want it. Everybody wants the web to be more interesting, look better. Uh, so browsers are starting to add either to HTML, like a center tag and a font tag and a color tag, or their own like style sheet syntax. And finally everybody's like, okay, we have to do this. We have to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a bunch of different proposals that you can read through. They're all on the W3 website. Was there one that's good? Is there the, well, the, C, the, the alternate timeline CSS? Is no, that, no. The uh, one that's is that? good is called Cascading HTML Style Sheets. And uh, oh, wow. uh, in a couple revisions, HTML gets dropped because it should apply to any like XML or SGML language. And mm. uh, it becomes CSS. Um, you can look through the others; they're fascinating. There's a lot of interesting ideas, but I think it's I, you know every anyway. I, whenever somebody's like, "Oh, CSS is so broken," and and it's like, "All right, let's let's hear what you got," you know, <laughs> <laughs> like hands on chin, you know, um, <laughs> and and I just like at some point you're going to come up like like it's design more or less, right? Like so you have to describe how something is and like key value a system of key value pairs seems pretty strong in how to des- describe a design. Um, I think you had said it in your video, but, but like these, but these, these properties, key values we write end up kind of just being suggestions to the browser that, that it can kind of just be like, oh, I don't understand that one. And that's very clear in all the first proposals. I mean, there's one great one that says like, we need a way to send, and then all caps, hints and suggestions to the browser. Uh-huh. Um, and all of the proposals talk about how are we going to balance um, a device setting some defaults that are going to make every site readable, uh, and then users setting preferences that are going to make it usable for them, uh, like high, larger font size or whatever it is. And then authors providing suggestions and hints around their intent, what they mean for it to look like. Uh, And then on top of that, we have to have users be able to say, no, but I mean it, the font has to be big. So Mm -hmm. bang important. 
Um, and then the browser has to come in at the end and say, yeah, but I can't do that. Um, and come up with some other way to solve the problem. So we've got these layers that sort of like the browser gets first and last say, uh, the user gets second and second to last, and then the authors were in the middle um, saying what what we would like, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was um, the from, what's that guy's name? Dave something, uh, the web is ruined and I ruined it or whatever, <laughs> the, the guy who wrote all those like, table layout books in, in the early days. Um, and he's finally like, coming around to CSS, I think. Um, now? Uh, right now? Well, no, in like 99 or <laughs> something like that. But it was... <laughs> but, no, I mean, but the, the coming the around argument, part. But yeah, tell me. I think he finally came around after just a lot of standards battles. But um, uh, but one interesting thing, is, I think he just... he he realized like, okay, like the, the user has to have ultimate control. And if you put that like in that, like a design constraint, like the cascade part, which everyone hates, that's the worst part of CSS is the C, you know, um, that when you put the constraint that like the user has ultimate control and, and rights, uh, over their experience that, I mean, I feel like the cascade is almost the only design solution that works. Right. It is like a, uh, a rubric where like it, it goes whatever the the original rule then important and then the, whatever the user says like buck stops there and, and so it's it's I, I i'm enjoying your kind of going through these histories and and specs and stuff like that for these properties and whatever and and just because it it's I don't think people at face value understand the like history of it and how CSS is designed to give the user ultimate control. And the, the benefits there are like, you know, dyslexic fonts. I mean, shoot, like you're not going to code that (laughs) somebody else, (laughs) like some user is going to come in and say like, I need this or, or like large scale or shoot high contrast mode, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Like uh, we don't even consider part of CSS or the browser. Um, I mean, all this stuff really matters or, um, even browser zoom is probably the most like hostile example of that. You know, it's, it's like, oh, no one zooms past 150%. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you do. If like your eyesight doesn't work, like you, you zoom in as far up until you can see stuff, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. My just, eyesight works and I zoom a lot of sites because the text is too small and I want to see it. Uh, I want it easier to read or I'll hit reader mode. Um, and I'll take out mm-hmm. all of your styles and replace them with an, <laughs> like a, a new browser default. I only read in Palatino, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, star font face fantasy. You know, if you're, I, I'm fascinated by the CSS's broken people because you're, it's, there's just, even that is extremely nuanced. I think some, this is, this is just a, a guess, right? That here's one fact. It's so, so crazy successful, CSS. It's um, <laughs> unbelievable how many sites use it on the internet as part of their... 100%. It's imp- even more popular than WordPress. Yeah, <laughs> so popular. Even, even jQuery, unbelievable. It's a big part of people's business strategy, for sure. And so, to, so but to, to not have it not be criticizable is stupid, too. Like, of course, maybe there's, like, problems with it that we can talk about. But to just be like, oh, this is a terrible language. It's just like, you can't, you kind of can't say that, you know? It's, it's like to walk into a room and be like, Amazon is a terrible business model. You know, you're like, yeah, but they just don't, you know, because they're kicking ass, you know? So, like they can have problems with how they treat employees or what it's doing to the world or their political influence, all kinds of interesting things to talk about there. But you kind of can't argue with the success of something or like its influence or like what's happening out there. And so, and also this like, I don't know, a lot of us have like built websites and had lots of problems and stepping stones on our journey to success in the things that we're building in like the least of our problems has been CSS, you know, like I have much bigger problems with getting somebody to care about what I'm doing or what, or, and if there's some little problem with CSS, then it's just like, Oh, that was weird, but here's a fix. And then you fix it or whatever, like more important things to do today. You know, I love when people tell me that uh, CSS is broken. I generally send them to the uh, CSS working group site of CSS mistakes. And I'm like, yeah, here's the list. There's, 
25 <laughs> items or whatever. Yeah, all are true. Yeah, that's uh, I, I came across that this week, and it I just love it. I love that there's a list. It's just yeah, thirty bullet points. I've read of through like, that oops. many, many times. <laughs> it's very yeah, I like very the honest. one that's like super simple, but I don't know exactly what it means. And it just says table table layout should be sane. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that sounds yeah. reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Instead of whatever it is, it's so weird. So. Oh my gosh, I just tried to Google for it because I thought for sure the official list of CSS mistakes that the you know the working group admits to making would come up fairly highly for CSS mistakes. But no, it's all clickbait. <laughs> no. Oh you gosh. should put a you should out SEO that with God. CSS tricks. Now I have a new idea for a show. Let's go through every one of these clickbait articles on I know. What... <laughs> oh, I've been meaning to like do a talk of uh everything that was proposed in CSS3 and never implemented. Ooh, like like what do we have Go on. What do we have <laughs> What do we have specs for but it's never been built. Um and there's yes, there's some yes, interesting yes. ones. I mean the one that the one that first drew my attention was uh attribute uh the attribute function that we can use like in generated oh, yeah, content we can yeah, say like adder yeah yeah uh, but in pull the it spec, as, a, as a unit a united unit yeah, instead of a string in yeah. the spec you can like say you can use it anywhere not just in contents and you can say what type of info it should be it should be a number it should be a a pixel number specifically um, yeah there's so much power in that and we don't have it we were at a bar the other night, Dave and I, in San Francisco, and it's been long enough since CSS3 that, or maybe I was just had a few beers enough, is another way to put it, that we were like, what even was CSS3? Now, as now, when I hear it, all, the only thing that goes through my brain is like, ugh, you know, like, we don't, we don't talk that way anymore, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. You see, like, a <laughs> learn HTML5 and CSS3, you just immediately right. roll your eyes, like, that's some Oh, you're not on CSS3? Stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, oh, and then I was like, what even was it? Because I remember at the time, it was very like, people applauded it for it being very well-defined to be like, oh, this was important. It was like a, almost like a marketing movement for the web that says, oh, the web doesn't suck anymore. Yeah. Here you go. Uh, and then I was trying Border to radius. remember what it That's all I was. remember. <laughs> well, yeah, then, radius I, that was my yeah. first one too. And then I was like, but was that, was that first or was that, was that firmly CSS3? That was know. CSS3, but I don't... Okay. I started to doubt. I don't know myself. what else was. <laughs> and Dan Denny was there. And he's like box <laughs> shadow, it. and I was like, "Yes, box shadow." Oh, that was the one. no! I saw yeah. the other day. Media queries were CSS three. Oh, oh yeah, tech two. Well, yeah. that's a big deal yeah. then, obviously. Well, that those didn't pan out. <laughs> <laughs> Media queries are also in that first CSS proposal from Halcon Lee. Really, really? Yeah, there's some really cool ones. Yeah. There's like uh, a media query on the age of the document. Um, so oh, awesome. in his okay. example, he turns the page yellow if it's more than three days old. And I love that. Oh my God. I we've been talking that. about that for eight years <laughs> on this show. Yeah. Remember we had that like to like, put a span around all the letters and make them start to like fall down the page <laughs> or something or look like old newsprint or whatever, which is. Yeah, that's great, awesome. So clearly. the first, Yeah. I mean, well, you know, that's just jokey. But at the same time, you know, we do stuff. Like at CodePen, if there's a if there's a blog post that's over two years, I'll put a big warning at the top of it that just says like, "Hey, like this is old. It's not a media query. It's it happens at the the database level, but we do you know that actually manifests itself. You know, and and if you if you don't see a date on a blog post article, I'm I'm like, you know, nah. It's really <laughs> a very important thing. Why don't we have a media query for it? And I mean, the answer is probably because that's easier you to handle lie. on the server, or yeah, probably, or in the JavaScript, it knows the age of the document better than CSS does, or the browser does, or something. Oh, it is fascinating stuff, though. So, yeah, CSS. Uh, it's weird, right? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. The infinite unknown canvas I stole from you. Yeah, I mean, we don't know where our designs are going. So how would we? How would we even conceivably design for that? I mean, it's an audacious idea. This episode is brought to you by CloudBees Rollout. CloudBees Rollout is where developers come to ship changes at will. When you have a solution to manage feature flags at scale, 
you're empowered to continuously and intelligently roll out changes as soon as they are code complete on any platform, even mobile. Decouple development from code releases for real-time change control, roll back only the changes you want, toggle features, and use multivariate flags for A-B testing and Nick's misbehaving features with a kill switch. Check out the 14-day free trial and experience how CloudBees rollout can help you rock every release. Follow the link in the show notes or in your podcast player right now or visit rollout.io. Our thanks to CloudBees Rollout for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. Uh, new stuff, too, we can do um, just because it's timely and this show is, has a date stamp on it, certainly. Um, people are curious about subgrid i think you have a couple of videos on that it's a it's a little if you know grid is is a little mind-bending by itself and but i think it's gettable you know i think the mental Mm -hmm. model of it isn't too bad you know you lay out some some horizontal rules and some some vertical rules and you play stuff between it or let the browser play stuff between it which is where it kind of gets a little weird and how those things stretch and morph is a little mind-bending, but maybe like approximately doubles in mind-bendingness with subgrid. Is that is that fair? Yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, and it's a little bit hard to describe to people how it's different from just nesting grids because uh, you sort of immediately think, well, I can just have a grid and then I can nest that grid because uh, that's sort of what we've done historically with grid systems, right? Like you could do that with Suzy. So why is it the same thing? Um, and it's not, and it's because grid takes information from the grid elements, the things that are laid out on the grid. That information is passed back into how the grid is laid out. Um, and we need to pass, we've got like children and then we've got grandchildren. We need to be, be able to have grandchildren pass their information up the chain to the grid uh, so that they are taken into account in laying out the grid. Oh, that's an interesting mental model. As you think of it as the grandchildren passing its information up to yeah. the grid, which I'm sure is more correct. But I almost, and I probably have this wrong, but another is another possible way to think about it that the grandchildren, like it's the parent grid passes down its grid line information to the system. It, it does do that, but that's what feels, that's what starts to get confused with just nesting the grid um, because that feels the same. Uh, like if the grid is already defined and I just need to pass it down, I can just do grid inherit and I get that. Um, but what subgrid does is it also lets the grandchildren be like, but I want to be bigger um, and pass that information back up. Uh, and that's where it, so it does go both ways, but that's the part that sort of makes it special. It means that cousins, I guess, cousins can lay out together uh, and speak to each other on the same grid. Yeah, cousins would be in different trees of the DOM. Right. right. They can participate on the same grid in a way that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. I like that I'm bigger. Like, because you're, if you're a cousin, you're trapped in your parents' tree, and it's a way to express, like, no, I want to I wanna literally, probably quite literally, be on a larger portion of the grid that I'm otherwise able to be. Wow, that's hard to mouth blog. <laughs> I, I like the grandchildren cousin, which yeah, is that's good. why we need like a nearest cousin a selector in <laughs> JavaScript. Um, uh, I mean, another way to think about it is like the I, I had this post ages ago about uh, about flattening markup for the sake of grid because it's like the second mm-hmm. you need an unordered list, you're like, oh, too bad. All those all those LIs can't participate in the grid anymore just because semantically you had to have a UL wrapper around it. That's just one level. Now imagine like five levels deep because you're trying to do right good markup that makes sense for everybody. You know, it probably is even harder in React land where there's freaking divs all over the place. <laughs> at least now you can. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that also gets at why like display contents isn't the same thing, um, because uh, it also allows you to lay out and style the parent on the grid, uh, or the. I mean, let's see if we're talking about uh, the parent as the the grid container itself, and then the child. You can lay it out on the grid, and then you can also lay the grandchildren out on the grid. And if you use display contents, you sort of mo- lose that middle layer. Uh, and you can't style it. So say you're doing a card layout. Uh, you couldn't just 
to display contents on the card because then you lose that outline of the card or whatever. Uh, yeah, you can't just remove right, right. that card from the DOM. You can't just flatten and take it out. You need that card to hold the things inside of it, even if you want the things inside of it to lay out on the grid. Um, so subgrid also gets you that. So there might have been another possibility uh, at some point that because so display contents is is cool sometimes, but you just described why it's not cool in this circumstance. I mean, another route forward might have been some other version of. I guess of display, although it, it makes me puke in my mouth to say that a little bit because display is so overloaded with responsibility already to like to like let's right. have another display value that does this <laughs> another weird thing, but just like would be a little bit like display contents, but without losing its semantic value or accessibility information. But well, it's really but, in that case, it's not even about the semantic value or the accessibility. It's sort of like I still need to be able to lay it out. I still need to be able to put a card style on it. It needs to be there. um, And display contents makes it go away. I think display contents is the right solution to your React divs. They should just go away. Oh, right. Display contents can do that. I wasn't meaning that to crap on React, but I'm saying like sometimes use just like a router or something that like has no... Dom yeah, any of the all, frameworks, but it has to express itself as a div for for who knows what reason, you know, for for DOM manipulation reasons. And sometimes that's a big deal because you have a selector that needs to go through it, so you have to like update the selector to account for this routing div. And you're like, mm, don't love that, but you don't if you display contents. It well, I guess you kind of do at the selector level, but but at the styling level, there's it's kind of a better option. Ugh, that sucked a mouth blog too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what other complicated things can we explain? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just listening to you Big like, o notation. try to figure out revert versus inherit versus initial versus Did you listen unsafe. to us oh, trying to explain what tough. you... I did. Yeah. Oh, I did. Was it was fun. 30 minutes trying to, trying to explain what you were... You know, obviously the answer was watch the video and listen to somebody who knows what they're yeah, talking you need about. A, you need a phone a friend option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you explained in two minutes, we took a good 30 uh, to explain wrong with the wrong. How did we do at uh, the end? Did you get all the way to the too. end? Did we get it finally or not? Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, mostly. I mean, I think once you got it, you were sometimes saying reset, but uh, I yeah, think, oh, I think no. it, it ended up right there. I think you What's got the it correct in the end. one? Yeah. Revert. Revert is the actual revert. value. Yeah. Yeah. Revert. Yeah. I did see somebody like. Um, you know, like somebody on Twitter, I think it's Cime Vitas, um, who who does a lot of standard stuff, but they're just kind of trying to like, you know, when people kind of, I guess devil's advocate is not the right term because that's kind of low, but it was just like, what what are the use cases? And I think you had, you know, some good use cases like, like a button, for instance, when you do display or sorry, I messed it up already. Frick. Um, like all uh, unset, the button goes back to looking like text, right? Mm-hmm. But all reset, the button goes back to unset. Like only button. works on the all value, though, too, oh, right? Oh, sorry, <laughs> revert, <laughs> revert. <laughs> okay, all revert goes back to looking like a button, right? And you can do all and, revert. Oh yeah. Oh, and that's actually, great. it's kind of fun if you want to see. Uh, sort of the spec default. If you want to take a website and put it on the spec default, um, no matter what's been set, star selector all uh, initial will take you to the spec default. And then yeah. if you hit bang important, you'll override most of the styles on the site. Um, so you can very quickly see like what is the spec default for everything on this page. And then if you change initial to revert, uh, you'll see UA um, what is the yeah, UA styles. That's a great little trick. Love that. And so, other because otherwise, what what would you have done? You'd have to like go like find all the CSS files in that template in Dev and just remove them temporarily or something, which you may not right. even have the power to do. And I'm not even sure how you'd do it at the Dev Tools level. If you go in the head and just like delete the link <laughs> style sheet in the head, does it do that too? Maybe. Yeah. Also, I mean, I know in Firefox you get the like uh, edit styles tab, uh, and you can go in there and it'll show you where all the styles are coming from, and you could delete them there. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But no, th- this is definitely the fastest way. Just a little little chunk of Rooney in there. Yeah, I don't know if it's actually useful. Like, do you have to do that often? I don't know, but I like it. Well, people pay lip service to it anyway. Like, I always look at my site without CSS to see that it's semantically perfect. And oh, that's true. It's one of the, it's that's actually one of the best ways to find accessibility errors mm-hmm. like real quick like it still is like it's weird because like whatever we're so post turning off styles and turning off javascript now in this modern era but like it's still actually a really good way to be like oh yeah okay that that doesn't look like a button that's just a text and so buttons should look like buttons so but I guess, like, uh, do you see any other instances? I think I think the button for revert, display revert, was pretty, like, I don't know, made sense to me because that's what I expect. But, like, is there, like, are there other examples you're, like, here's, like, where I might see myself applying revert? Well, I think if there's any reason that I would be applying initial, uh, likely revert is more often what I really want um, because, like, display initial is always going to take me to inline and that just doesn't make sense. Uh, I want display to go back to the default display for this um, for this element, not to the default display for the display property in the spec. Um, so I don't know how often you're using initial, but... Uh, I just searched my whole code base for it and it was zero results. But I feel like revert, because it's more useful, might now that I know about what it actually does and the fact that it's more useful, especially with display values, right? Display is like the clutch thing for it, I think. Because, you know, the UA sets a bunch of useful display values for things that are sensible for what type of element it is. And display initial just wipes that away, right? Yeah, say you want to take your table, a table that you've styled some other way and you want to take it back to a table. You can just say display revert. Uh, you know, it always gets me is on list layout. items because I always set it back to block and then it's wrong because it's mm-hmm. really got, it's mm-hmm. really display list item, which is. Yeah. Or if you're but, using multi-value uh, display property, it's display block list item. So you're, you're right on both. <laughs> oh, I see. Cause now we're, now mm-hmm. we're talking two value display properties. Should we get into that? How much, how much time do we have? List item is actually a third. So you can do three value. You can do oh, display. Right block grid list item oh that just i don't know i don't don't even know how to process (laughs) that you know like do i do i love that (laughs) if i do display block in line does it just vomit and like (laughs) probably around circles or what (laughs) i think that would be an error because block and inline are both part of the outer value uh yeah so oh is that how you think of it outer and inner yeah outer inner and then list item is its own toggle okay So the outer value is like, how do I lay out in the flow? And then the inner value is, uh, what layout system am I using for my children? Okay, which which is... Like grid grid or flex flex or table or flow. Uh, Flow, we can now say explicitly. Oh, and it's not flow root, it's just flow now? Well, so we have both. Flow root says uh, this should be, like it should clear floats and it should... It should act like yeah. a layout route, um, and flow just is just another. That's what thing you automatically sort of get default. Yeah. Okay, so you'd you'd probably just omit flow because flow is weird and new, and but it just means what we've already we've already said. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it could be useful if, like, like say you had something set to grid and you want to set it back, you can set it to flow, uh, and it's nice to have that as an explicit option, mm-hmm. uh, even if we're not using it a lot of the time. So a fascinating related thing to this real quick is that, so let's say it was grid and then you set it to flow. There's all this stuff that, like, I think for maybe a new CSS developer mindset that they'd get confused about. Like, well, what about all that, like, grid template columns and all that stuff? What happens to it? And poof. the answer is it just, yeah, it poofs, right? But but you, but you some dev tools wouldn't tell you that it poofed, right? But that's kind of a new thing in Firefox, right, is it will, it will quite literally tell you that it poofed. <laughs> right. Yeah, it'll be like this doesn't apply here. 
Yeah, I guess that's it. That's the whole story. (laughs) It's grayed out, and we'll tell you why it's grayed out. (laughs) That's probably like my my least favorite UI UX thing in the world is when something's grayed out and it doesn't tell you why. Oh, and it doesn't say. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Coming full circle. Let's do it. What if it's like appearance or WebKit appearance, and it's like, oh. does does Firefox gray that out, or and say like, WebKit appearance isn't real, and it's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, it's but different for it is. it's different for things that uh, the browser doesn't understand. So it uh, that would be considered invalid syntax if it doesn't know it. Um, so then it would okay. put a line through it and say, we don't know this syntax. Uh, um, okay, but if it's not used or not applied for some reason because this is the wrong place to use it. It'll gray it out and give you a little icon you can hover over that says why. Okay. See, that's more useful. Because uh, I, you know, I was going back to a new CSS thing. It's like, well, I'm going to, I use that naive Zoom one. And that's what I use. So, but that's also, you know, like that's a thing that I'll use intentionally for fallbacks. Uh, like, um, uh, this value does apply for a browser that doesn't understand grid or something, right? I'll have values in there that mm-hmm. are just for floating um, mm-hmm. and they're ignored by newer browsers, but they'll still be used by an older browser. And so the fact that it's unused where I'm looking at it right now doesn't always mean it's worthless. That's very interesting. Maybe that's one of the I could see the CSS haters of the world thinking that's odd too, or or the or the fact that CSS has no like error state. There's no there's no moment at which CSS stops reading a file because it has encountered an error. But that's the entire way that the web is forward and backwards compatible. That's the fundamentals of making it work into the future and into the past. CSS has error states. It's border one picks red. Um, and- <laughs> <laughs> that's like I don't know why people keep saying this <laughs> well it kind of does have one because there's some pretty extreme things you can do like you miss one closing curly bracket and it re- it screws up until it finds the next closing curly bracket mm-hmm. sort of kind of I think that's basically how yeah. it works so you can lose a whole chunk of, of a of a thing without understanding why exactly but that doesn't Forget stop rendering ever query. rendering never no, stops right. because of that error no but JavaScript doesn't behave that way, right? Well, in JavaScript, technically, you can forget semicolons, and that's just fine. Or uh, you can forget semicolons and uh, whatever, curly braces sometimes. Once in a while, I'm shocked by little things like that that seem so fundamental, although I, I shouldn't be because I think I have a pretty good, I don't know, I've, it's been a long time where I've been like trying to write articles from a somewhat of a beginner perspective, but sometimes it still blows my mind. And Adam Argyle on Twitter does for Chrome does interesting little uh, uh, polls from time to time that are like, like you'll show like a little block of, of CSS and the last, you know, the, you know how you can omit the last semicolon on the last key value pair in a block or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, is this valid? And most people are like, no. That is not valid. And you're like, really? I thought that was just like a thing that we all knew for some reason. But but clearly we don't. So I hope I'm not losing my my edge of, of understanding what people don't understand. But we all got to remember, nobody understands anything. <laughs> yeah, well, or at least nobody <laughs> understands everything. So Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, whatever you say, it might be old news to somebody, but it's new to somebody else. So say it uh, anyway. That's the perfect place to end this, I think. All right. Well, thank you, Miriam, uh, for coming on the show. Uh, we, we should do it again because you're a fountain of knowledge and we appreciate that. So uh, for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to oddbird.net uh, for my company if you want to give us money um, and have us do work for you. I mean, we'll do that part too. Uh, and then <laughs> It's not just a bank account. <laughs> uh and then I met uh, Miri Suzanne, M-I-R-I-S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, on Twitter. That is oddbird.net. And then the Mozilla developer channel over on the, uh, uh, I'll just read out the URL here, uh, youtube.com slash channel slash capital U, capital C, capital, or lowercase h5. No, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think youtube.com um, slash Mozilla developer will get you there. 
See, that's much easier than the one I have showing up. Um, anyway, it's a really good channel. I, I like enjoy what y'all oh, are doing thanks. there. So, uh, okay. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you, just like this company. Hey, Shop Talk Show listeners, there's a job available I want to tell you about. The place is called Talk, which is awesome. It's like, it's like, software that you run in restaurants, you know, and you picture like, oh, but isn't that software bad? Yeah, that's kind of the point, I think. Talk is like software for helping run a restaurant that's good instead of bad. (laughs) It's the premise, you know, like these chefs opened it that are these great chefs and like seeing all the massive amounts of money walking out the door for just on the reservation side of dealing with it. Kind of fascinating stuff. Their job is a senior UI designer helping bring ideas for this software to life. So you're, you know, have teammates that are also product designers and you're exploring solutions and figuring out features and product improvements and building prototypes and getting user feedback and just making the thing better, you know, which is great. So you are, if you're good for this role, first, it's in Chicago, cool city. Uh, you're a, you're a, you're a strong, you know, you're an individual contributor, you know, like you're doing the work too, but you have strong leadership skills as well. You know, this is a senior role. And so there's ambiguity with it. You know, you ex- enjoy exploring, figuring things out. What's this project going to be? You're a problem solver. You got high standards. you or into the data, you know, and then you're, you know, you're writing HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Of course you are. You're into new tools, you know, like what are you going to prototype in? You're going to use Figma or XD or are you going to go crazy and use some After Effects and get fancy with it? Are you going to be exploring things like Framer? You know, you know, you're a business minded, you know, this is a senior role here. So you're bringing yourself to it and exploring tools and exploring possibilities and making this thing happen. Again, the company is called Talk. It's exploretalk.com. We'll have a link to the job posting uh, in there in Chicago, Illinois. Go get it, Chop Talk Show listeners. Go get it. And Chris, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Shopdogshow.com. <laughs>